0: In the Reading Corner today, I'm very excited to be welcoming Gary Parsons, a children's book illustrator with oodles of books to his credit, so many that I can't uh, name them all. But they do include the much-loved Billy's Bucket, written by Kez Gray, and the Dinosaur That Pooped series, written by Tom Fletcher and Dougie Pointer, and also his own picture book, uh, Krong, uh, which was a particular favourite of mine. He's also worked extensively with black and white line illustration uh, for series like George's Secret Key to the Universe written by Lucy Hawking and the Dragon Sitter series with Josh Lacey. I've seen Gary in action in schools and working with student teachers. And if we were in the Wild West, I think he would be called Quick Draw Parsons. (laughs) So today I'd like to welcome Gary Parsons to the Reading Corner.
1: Thank you. Hi, Nikki. Hi.
0: Nice to have you here. And today we're mainly going to be talking about uh, two of your uh, most recent books, one coming out very soon and the other because we're recording in May 2020, uh, we know that the particular circumstances at the moment has upset publish- publishing schedules a little bit, and a book that was due to come out is now coming out next year. But we're going to talk a little bit about that, um, and that one is called My Daddy's. So just to begin, Gary, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit uh, about your career in children's book illustration, and particularly whether it was an early career choice.
1: I always wanted to draw ever since I was very young. And my dad used to draw things for me and I used to copy his drawings until I think I got a bit better than him. So I always knew that I wanted to draw. Um, But I thought I was going to be a painter. So I studied painting at Canterbury Art College um, quite a number of years ago now. And uh, when my painting career didn't really take off in a way that I had hoped it would oh actually I had a bit of a a epiphany at the degree show uh, when I had all my paintings up in one space and I realized that the subject matter and the sequence that I was working on was like a giant picture book so with that in mind a couple of years later I went back to University of Brighton and I studied sequential design with, um, John Vernon Lord and George Hardy. And that kind of changed the direction of my creativity, I suppose, towards books.
0: So you were certainly there learning with uh, one of the greats. So John Vernon Lord, for any listeners that don't know, he was the uh, creator of the Giant Jam Sandwich.
1: The Giant Jam Sandwich, indeed, which was, you know, amazing for me because it was one of my favourite books as a child. I had that book. And then to go and um, have him as my personal tutor for two years while I did this part-time course was uh, really incredible. And he was used. I I love that he was used to go, Gary. Um, you know, make sure your fingers don't look like um, a bunch of sausages. It's <laughs> so, um, always, always very conscious of my fingers whenever I draw hands. I always think of John Byrne. Oh, uh,
0: great to actually be taught by somebody that's been an inspiration early on. Um, We're going to talk today about, and I'm going to get this wrong at some point in the interview because it's a real tongue twister, uh, but we're going to be talking about uh, your forthcoming book, which is Llama Glamorama, um, written by Simon James Green. Tell us a bit about the story, first of all.
1: Uh, Larry is a llama and he lives on a very kind of well-to-do conservative, shall we say, farm. I've, I've kind of set it in a in my imagination it was kind of slightly in Tuscany somewhere like that anyway they they have a whole load of rules that they need to follow keeping quiet and uh, being careful on the stairs and things like that but uh, Larry in his room when he closes the door he has this big secret um, which happens at night that's the only time he can express it and uh, he's very conscious about what the others are going to think about this secret that he has. Um, I can tell you that he loves to dance and he's a moving, grooving, kind of, you know, he, do, he does a bit of hip hop, he does a bit of techno, anything. Um, and he, he goes on this little journey and he discovers himself and, and uh, there's this wonderful revelation of the at the end from his friends who have their own little uh, secrets and things that they reveal at the end too. It's, it's funny and it's light. It has a lovely uh, and quite a powerful message about being yourself. Uh, and I think Simon's written this so so beautifully. It's, it's, it's very unforceful and, and very sweet. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're given this text and uh, as an illustrator, How did you want to support and add to the storytelling of a text that you've uh, told us you kind of already really appreciated? What did you want to bring to it?
1: my own personal experience of life i found this um I, you know I, I knew that i could contribute to this book considerably you know you know in a way like you know you're kind of holding on to parts of your personality that you don't feel like you can reveal to anybody just yet so it's got that kind of i wanted to give it that kind of tension which i think it does it does happen all told with humor and lightness so
0: that's a sort of characteristic um, of your work in many ways. Uh, not necessarily laugh-out-loud humour, uh, but it's something that I do think about. That kind of lightness when I think about your work, uh, lightness of touch. Uh, how important is humour to you? Very
1: important. Um, I suppose I would never say that I was kind of comedic in any way, but I do have a I do have a wit, and I do like. Um, those kind of subtleties. So it's interesting you say that uh, uh, my work has, uh, this kind of s- subtle humor to it, because I, I think that's very who I am. Uh, and I like those funny kind of things that you can do with eyes and just a little touch of a uh, bending a line here and there to give a character more nuanced facial expression, which can bring some humor to a picture.
0: So if, we, if we'd have a look at Llama Glamorama yes. and think about it as uh, how illustration supports the storytelling and the pacing of the story, can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Well, what's very interesting visually about this book for me was that it really does roll through his feelings of being a bit repressed to joyous, almost page. Turn by page turn, so we we see him while he's being rigid in the structure of the lot of the llama farm, and then we get this reveal of what he's doing in his bedroom at night, doing his dancing, putting his stereo on. so you can use it's great to be able to play with um, color in that way, and use dark, muted kind of turquoises for the more serious spreads, and then when he's really going to town and he's dancing we can really let rip with the color. So he has this wonderful rainbow feather boa, which he flings around when he's dancing. Um, So it goes it goes up and down through that. There's a lot of deep shadows in this book where his friends are accusing him and they have a torch, which emphasizes that whole thing, which is nice to play, which is nice to play with. And then of course, when he leaves, he, he leaves the farm at one point to go in search of himself. Um, And it's raining, it's very miserable, the trees are empty of leaves and he's just really kind of sorrowful and looking at his own sad reflection in some water, which, you know, um, for me it's great to be able to push and pull the book visually like this.
0: The use of the torch is brilliant. There's one spread that I'm looking at now which has got the three friends on it and one is holding the torch in front. There's a beam of light but you can see their bodies through the light and just how you've shown that, which I guess when we're reading it, we take it for granted, but that's obviously a choice that you have to make about how to show that.
1: Yeah. And it's kind of fun, those kind of, uh, you know, working out how you're going to uh, do that. I I really like those little challenges. And because I paint as well, when I look at that spread now, I can see where I've added, I, I use some tape just to, Make sure that the, the line of the beam of the torchlight is, is straight. So
0: it's actually painted rather than being created digitally.
1: It is. I'm like a dinosaur of the illustration world that I still paint. And I, I just love the whole texture and mixing of paints. Um, I like the texture and I like the fact that you can see that it's been hand rendered. Mm. I don't have anything against using a computer because I do that too. Um, But for picture books, I really like the painting.
0: Mm. Just having a look at uh, another spread, I love the contrasts in this book as well. Again, the colour is a a big part of that, but also the scaling and the size of it. And I'm looking at the picture that you talked about um, where Larry is looking very sad here he's in the forest uh it's raining he's looking in a pool um tell us a little bit about uh the composition of that picture
1: i think i just wanted it to be kind of barren and bleak and yeah i think i managed to achieve that
0: oh you definitely did i mean those trees are almost prison-like aren't they and uh streaks of rain coming down, making us all that kind of pathetic fallacy idea, making yeah. us all feel rather sad yes. and gloomy. Yes.
1: <laughs> I mean, no, I, I really love that about picture books. And I know I've had a career on on kind of humour and silly, but I still really enjoy being able to change how you might feel when you're reading a book. That's the, that's the part that I really love about picture books. You can create kind of empathy with the reader. Um, so all my favourite illustrators, I feel, are really brilliant at doing that. Like uh, Emma chichester Clark and Raymond Briggs, and those, those kind of those kind of people, I look back to for inspiration on those to create emotion. I think it's a a, a wonderful thing to do.
0: Mm. I wonder if we could have a think about characters for a moment because you've told us it's about um a farm full of llamas obviously Larry is the main character but he's got three friends here um and you've got to make them all different (laughs) it you know the majority of llamas all look the same so how did you come up with your characters
1: so one of them is called Spitz and he is, I suppose they need to have one's, one's kind of got floppy hair to one side and one's got curlier, kind of more matted hair. I spent a lot of time looking at llamas online. And what I tend to do these days is with with a book is make up a board on Pinterest. And so I just spend a couple of days looking for images. And I did go and visit a couple of llamas and, and they are the most peculiar animals, quite adorable, but very strange, really odd feat as well. So I wanted to get some of that kind of quirkiness in, in these characters. And one of them is called Patcher. So he has a funny eye patch part to him. His patch was going to be like a Ziggy Stardust lightning bolt, but I was talked out of doing that.
0: Oh, was <laughs> <laughs> that a homage to David Bowie then? A, a
1: little homage to David Bowie. I thought, we were, you know, this book is about music and and being out there and a little bit different. So uh, I thought that would have been nice, but he, yeah, we didn't get that far.
0: Oh, there'd have been lots of parents that would appreciate had, I do, yes, I do, that.
1: I do love a pair of jokes for parents. And there are a couple of those in, in the Llama Glamorama as well.
0: So let's think a little bit about your other forthcoming book, because there are some connections here. It's very much about... Uh, being true to yourself and uh, about inclusivity and diverse families. And uh, your next book is called My Daddies. So can you tell us a little bit about that story?
1: It's like a homage to parenthood and particularly adopted parents and same-sex. So it's a same-sex couple book about two dads and their daughter and their dog. And they have a, a very kind of quiet adventure through books and reading that explains their their day and how they are together. And basically it's a book about love and it's a book about, it doesn't matter who you are, everybody can parent a child. And this is, as a gay man myself, me and my partner, we have adopted two children. So this is very dear, close and dear to my heart, this book.
0: It's absolutely um beautiful what I've seen I have only been able to see a few spreads of it but as you say it's about uh, great parenting it's also about the imagination because a lot of that play is imaginative isn't it does that kind of reflect your experience at home particularly when your children were younger
1: definitely I mean the I think what's really lovely about this book is, is, it's like a day in their in their life. So they they're, they're playing around with their daughter and reading various books, and this takes them on different travels. So just that aspect gives me visually a chance to take them into different worlds. So they're in a kind of fairy tale battle with dragons, and then they the next page. They're in a, the land of dinosaurs. And they go to space. So visually, it's re- it was really brilliant to work on for me. But I, I love this book because I like the idea of bringing emotion into the work. And I hope that this has got some of me in it because I've lived this experience of adopting children. As, as has the author, Gareth Peter. He also has two children. So we have a lot in common. There's, a, there's one spread that I think we both are very fond of, which is a life story book. And if anybody has adopted um, children, this is very important through adoptions. It's basically talking about um, all the amazing networks that you might have, that the child might have, their so grandparents and, and letting them know where they came from and there's no secrets. And it's like a little joyous little book of their life so far. Um, I don't know if you've seen that one, Nikki, but there's, there's definitely both Gareth and my Favourite spread from this book, I
0: think. Well, yeah. oh, that's great. Actually, I don't think that was on the sample that I saw, which is a shame, but I will look out for it as soon as I as soon as I can because that sounds really important. And uh there still aren't enough books um with adopted children and adopted families. And I realized this when we were selecting books for a, a projects that we run at Just Imagine. And we had yes two books both that had um, adopted children in them and it wasn't until we were part way through the project that we realized how negative the portrayal was of the adopted family (laughs) it was almost like the evil step family you know it was that kind of image of adoption rather than it being a warm normal accepted family so it did give us um pause to stop for thought Um, and has that been your experience as you've tried to find books for your own children
1: yes I mean when when my partner and I were going through the adoption process which is you know very very long and uh, in depth and all of that and you get lots of advice about how to deal with this big change that's coming in your life Um, and you are we were offered um, some books about adoption I, I just found them all rather gloomy and they they weren't very brilliantly written or or the illustrations are a bit sad or something like that there is there is definitely space for a new book and I really hope that this this my daddy's um is able to do that because it is it's a joy this book it's a celebration mm. of parenting
0: I want to ask you um a question about the title of the book and it's yes. whether or not by calling the title My Daddies and by making it explicit, are you making it exceptional rather than part of the norm, I guess? What do you think?
1: I think it's an interesting question. I like that it's very direct. So if this was sitting in a pile of books in a bookshop, I think that would be wonderful that it could just sit there with other well, books and it's not exceptional. It's just a story about My Daddies. Um mm-hmm. That is the aim that we had. We certainly didn't want to make it kind of exclusive in, mm. in any way, but we'll, we'll, we will see what, what happens and how, mm. how it's received, yeah. Mm.
0: Coming back to um, bringing up the children and uh, the kind of play element within the story, which is, is gorgeous, um, what ways did you encourage your children to take up pencils, crayons or whatever and draw?
1: Oh, I can't help myself, but be kind of encouraging <laughs> with paper and pencils. I'm always saying, Oh, what should we do? Shall we do some drawing? But they, because I work from home and uh, I have the two desks that I draw and work at. So they both have chairs that they can sit on the other side. But what they do have is uh, sometimes when I go to schools, I have to really encourage children that it's okay just do what you you know to make marks and make a mess Um, both my kids I think because they just absorb that I just draw that they have no inhibitions um, about getting started so if they have a piece of paper they can just get on and and go for it if it doesn't work they're not worried I mean that's half the battle I think certainly with drawing is just having the confidence just to give it a crack
0: I've noticed in school though sometimes that inhibition creeps in when children because start to become conscious of what their drawing looks like so how were you able to get over that
1: I've had like quite a few years of uh, doing events in schools now and um I, I think that I've managed to find a way of enthusing them and encouraging them by them watching me draw so I do some drawing and I just make it up as I go along and it's funny and literally I put in their suggestions and we just draw and if it doesn't work out we just we just laugh about it and we end up with a few sheets of paper with drawing on very very quickly so I think once they see someone doing that most of the time the kids can just go for it. And if any child is just holding a bit of so sh- shaking with, <laughs> with fear about what's going to happen, then I can help out and I, and I will often draw on there for them and then they will just carry it on. I think they just need a little bit of encouragement and, uh, you know, just an excuse to say just it really doesn't matter. It doesn't need to be perfect.
0: From watching your children or all children in school, Uh, draw. Have you learned anything about children's artwork?
1: I definitely have. I think children's imagination can just go what you just need a little bit of a fuse for them to to go off on. You know, at the end of sessions in schools, I quite often have to get my camera out and take pictures of their work because each person's creativity comes from some different place and there's so much uniqueness in a person's hand when they're drawing. I don't know how it might influence what I do day to day but certainly I'm always so excited and enthused when I've been working in a school with
0: with kids. Hmm. I'm really interested in what you just said about the uniqueness in someone's hand. Yeah. I just wonder whether when we look at a drawing that's the thing that they're tuned into. I find that really fascinating. What 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 kind of qualities does that bring out this kind of uniqueness in the in the hand
1: I have a really good example of that is for a while I taught on a art course for beginners and it was it was great because it was literally showing people how they might hold a pencil better and what marks that they can produce and there was one man who would paint uh, I'd set up a still life and there's one man who would just throw everything he had to it so in a few minutes he would have a yellow background blocked in and and his his bottles were all wonky but they were wonderfully wonky and it was all about him so really it really was that his individual creativity was coming up but he couldn't see it he would just say oh no i think i'm gonna discard this one and put it in the bin on the way out and actually i was desperate to take them home put them on my wall they were wonderful. So whether people can see their own unique talent is is another matter. Uh, and that, that's really hard to convince people that they have something to offer through drawing, definitely.
0: Mm. That's so interesting. And I'm finding it quite moving what you've just said. Um, I remember my grandmother, um, after my granddad died, took up art classes so, uh, just at a community centre. And I remember her coming home with um, all of her work and uh, pottery. She became very interested in pottery. And um, I saw a completely different facet to her personality through these things that, that she was creating. Uh, and they were unique and they might not have been polished, but they were amazing.
1: Definitely. it is. It's like seeing another aspect of people. But you know, if if you're if you're trained, or you can go to college, and you can, that's what you're working on. So you get that level of confidence to keep your work moving on. I mean, I, 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 a long time ago when I was just beginning my career, um, there was one of those. Um, I think the Society of Illustrators. Somebody had a one of those big bumper annuals that you would have work in, where prospective art directors would be able to see your work. And my page was next to David Roberts and I found this page uh, a, a few weeks ago and you could see this emerging talent of David Roberts but it was it was quite unrefined, but it was all there and and then when you think about the work the wonderful work that he's been doing recently, my son and I have both been enjoying his suffragette book oh and the drawing is just marvelous so Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit like that I think if we if everybody everybody has something to
0: offer when they pick up a pencil. Mm. So we've moved quite some way from Glamorama and my Daddy's, and we've got a little bit deep there <laughs> but uh, I do want to draw attention uh, for our listeners back to the, those two books and thank you so much for creating them not only are they Uh, joyously illustrated, but they are important in the stories that they tell and the stories that we need to get out there for our young readers. Thank you so much for talking to me today, Gary. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you, Nikki. It's been wonderful. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to In the Reading Corner with Just Imagine. If you have enjoyed this podcast, you can find many more on the podcast section of our website, justimagine.co.uk plus via iTunes or SoundCloud or your usual podcast provider. Don't forget to pass the pod and recommend this fantastic free resource to your friends and colleagues.